Hi, this is Greg Shannon. Welcome to It's a Show. Here they come. Cutting crew. In this episode, presented by OpenHighway.com, I have the privilege of speaking with Nick Van Eed, the co-creator and enduring creative force behind the English rock band Cutting Crew. Born June 14th in Cuckfield, West Sussex, Nick will celebrate this year's milestone in Canada as the band launches a tour of the Prairie Provinces, first stop Casino Yellowhead in Edmonton on the 15th, and eventually winds up with a couple of Ontario dates, including Toronto on June 23rd with a show at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre at the CNE. Cutting Crew will be touring the nation with their mates from another iconic 80s group, Wang Chung. In the early 1980s, after working for a time as the opening act for Slade, the forthcoming story surrounding that gig is worth your price of admission alone, Nick Van Eed formed The Drivers, and the band was quickly discovered and signed to a Canadian record deal. Rumor has it their signing bonus was a case of beer. You don't know how dangerously close you are to the truth. While in Canada, Nick had a chance meeting with Canadian-born guitar phenom Kevin McMichael. The two had an inkling they should collaborate, but both were in separate groups at the time. After the demise of the drivers, Nick returned home to the UK, and not long after, McMichael quit his band and took a giant leap of faith across the big pond. In 1985, the two formed Cutting Crew. Imagine this. You're 19 years old, you're working as a hospital orderly, and Jimi Hendrix's old manager, Charles Chandler, signs you up to be a pop star. That's exactly what happened to Cutting Crew's Nick Van Eed. He learned his craft as a support act for the likes of Slade and Hot Chocolate. When a crew release died in your arms, the band hit the road. We've got to go to America very soon, because we've been celebrating lately. Big success at the moment in the States. Yeah, just seeing the top ten this week. Brilliant, and uh, chart action over here as well. Soon, yeah. Here are the cutting crew. I, I just died on your arms tonight. There must have been something you said. I just died on your arms tonight. From 1986, their debut single, I Just Died in Your Arms Tonight, from their first album broadcast on Virgin Records. It was the song that shot an unknown band straight to number one in the major U.S. market, as well as Canada and Norway. And eventually, I've Been In Love Before became Cutting Crew's second U.S. Top 10 on the Hot 100, peaking at number 9, and was their first major hit on the U.S. Adult Contemporary Chart, where it peaked at number 2, and in Canada, at number 8. To the success of those back-to-back singles, Cutting Crew received a Grammy nomination as the Best New Artist of 1987. But enough of their impressive resume for now. Please settle in for my conversation with Nick Van Eed from Cutting Crew. Hello? Hi, I'm calling for Nick. Hi, just wait me one moment, please. Yeah, I thought it was going to go to answer machine. Hello? Nick. Hi, Greg. <laughs> How are you? I was standing there just about to answer, and my beautiful daughter answered it, so there you go. 
You're settled in? You got a scotch in one hand and a cigar in the other for this mission, or what? That's going to happen later on in the evening. I'm going to go for a swim in a minute, actually. Try not to sound disgracefully uh, fit, because I'm not, but um, I'm looking forward to a nice swim. So I'll have my whiskey later. I know you're passionate about swimming, and that's where a lot of your ideas come from for songwriting. (laughs) You read that, did you? It's a Show is presented by OpenHighway.com. The best content is customer-generated content. Find out how to grow your attention, currency, and bottom line by connecting with the Open Highway team today at OpenHWI.com. Nick Van Eed, our special guest on the show, you formed a band called The Drivers in the early 1980s. And this is kind of wild because when I was a kid in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, I grew up on a farm just outside the city. And there was a radio station called CKOM. And we used to play The Drivers, Tears on Your Anorak, relentlessly. And when I say we played it, because I listened to the station growing up and I ended up being a disc jockey there playing your music. So you're very familiar to me, even though I had no idea that was your band before you formed Cutting Crew. It's a long time ago, wasn't it, Greg? imagine a young Englishman uh, plugging away and doing really well. We'd be, we were kind of like a, a cult following over here in Britain, you know, playing the marquee, selling out the marquee and so on. But we couldn't get arrested. And then to be signed to a Canadian label, RCA, uh, was like this sort of strange, beautiful dream. You know, we were living the life out in uh, Canada, living in Toronto and, and traveling around doing, doing the tour. So, yeah, sometimes I have to pinch myself to remind myself that really did happen as well. There's a lot of veterans in the music business that will listen to this and understand exactly what being signed to a record label in the 1980s was all about. But there's a lot of young musicians out there that have no idea what that involved. Now, were you excited? Was there a big celebration? Because back then... The record company money was flowing, and only later on did you find out it was actually your money that was flowing out the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, we were playing at one of many sort of you know sweaty, packed pubs over in England, and this is a true story. And you know, I, if ever I do sit down and write that book, this will be called. This is in the Toronto chapter. You know, I'm playing a gig, and this guy came to see us, and he was a Toronto Jewish lawyer, Bernie Solomon, Bernard Solomon. One leg, one eye. <laughs> was it alternating or the same side? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Continuity. We had to keep an eye on his continuity, yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, he spotted us, and I remember him. In those days, we used to have you know, a thing called a payphone where you'd put little coins in a, in a box and it would get you through. I remember him calling home to Canada. He only had 10 pieces, and, and he was signing, I'm going to swear now, so get ready. And he said, Marty, he was calling his partner, he said, Marty, Marty, I just seen fucking God in a shithole in England. <laughs> <laughs> we, I remember hearing him say that, and uh, we, I said to the guys, I think we might be in here. Um, 
three months later, we were recording with Terry Brown, producing, um, you know, swanning it up in uh, Morin Heights at uh, Le Studio uh, with one of the most famous Canadian producers ever. So, yeah, pinch me again. So it was you and Kevin McMichael, a Canadian from the East Coast, from uh, St. John, New Brunswick. And I lost you. Oh, no. Uh-oh. What happened? They cut off my long distance. Greg, what happened? I don't know. I was. I could hear you fine. You can't hear me? I can now. Okay, good. Oh, geez, you're giving me a heart attack. <laughs> Dear me, that's never happened. It dropped like that. So had I got to Marty, 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 I've just seen da-da-da. Yes, you just hit that one, and then we lost power. Okay, I'll continue. I'll be in full flight. We were signed, and we were flown over to make an album. This is from a bunch of three guys who'd, you know, sending out pubs in England. So it is a dream, and for all those kids that are you know, putting bands together or sitting in a, in, a, in a studio writing their own songs. That was the dream back in the 80s, and I know it still exists now, but you could do things like that then. And um, I was very, very privileged to be able to have done it. And the first single, I Just Died in Your Arms Tonight, peaked at number one in America and Canada and Finland, uh, reached the top five only in your mother country, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland. And <laughs> I want to know, what's that like, though? I mean, you were... This was a smash global hit, and this was your first try. Like That would be like winning the Stanley Cup the first time you suit up and put skates on. <laughs> I like that. It's phenomenal, a phenomenal achievement that still stands to this day because you have the achievement, you have the memories, and we are still listening to that music and enjoying that music. Thank you, yeah. Um, it's a blessing and it's a curse. And I'm, I remember when we had recorded the album, <clears throat> that song stood out, everybody was talking about it. And uh, it, it's a, a double-edged sword, really, and that is, uh, you know, everybody was jumping up and, and down about this one track on the album. And I was saying, well, great, you know, I, I've been been around in Kevin McMichael, you know, from Halifax, Nova Scotia, my music partner. He was saying, just sit on it, just release something first and let the album build and then release. I just died in your arms. No, 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 they couldn't wait. And uh, so it was the first thing out of the box. And it changed my life. And, and it still is every single second of my life. But it also then you got to follow it and that was a tough ask and after having you know, grammy nominations and touring the world for three years it was tough and and we never did uh, but at the same time i'd rather have one big whopper than two or three little ones Well, the second single wasn't too bad either. I've been in love before. That was a top 10 and great song as well. And I understand what you mean because it's almost like a gifted actor who um, becomes typecast. You have this moment in the spotlight and you're global famous. And you came out right at the advent of of the video channels as well, right in that era. That's right. And and I think that's part of uh, the longevity of the band, really. I mean, up until that time, uh, as you know, there was was nothing out there. You just heard a record on on the radio and you made up your own images. The music business was changing by the second then. And of course, timing is everything. And um, I'm really happy, you know, although, you know, we're still a great band and we play and I sing good and uh, 
We write good songs still. The ability to get that monster big hit record, you've got to have everything lined up in a, in a row. You've got to have the way you look, the way it sounds, the producer. Branson had just started his um, you know, US Virgin Records with all the heavyweight, big heavy hitters from the music industry working for him. So we had a lot of that on our side. But at the same time, you know, it was of the time. It was a song that I think still plays on the radio well today because it is a bit timeless. And I, and I don't mean that means we're better than the ones that sound not so timeless, but it, it didn't have synthesizers and things over it. It was guitars, drums, and some strings, and a cello, and uh, a big tune. I mean, it's no different than any other artist that is timeless, like an Elton John or whatever band out there, the Stones. or And by the way, Stones or Beatles? Stones. I, I discovered the Beatles because um, they were just about five, six years before me, whereas I was growing up on, it's weird, I was growing up on Hoggy Tonk Woman and Brown Sugar and so on. So I got the, got the Beatles 15 years later. But if you offered me a ticket to see McCartney on stage now or, or the Stones, I'd take the Stones. I like the dirtiness. You're listening to It's a Show. I'm Greg Shannon. Please follow, like, and share our content at It's a Show Pod. Comment on today's episode, if you'd like, on all of our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You've had over 200 songs published, and you said that only eight of them made you money. So, I mean, (laughs) that is the music business. It is lightning in a bottle when you come up. And if you chase hits, I'm sure you'll never get them. That's a very true statement. Every time... They said to me, you know, go away and write another one like that. Or Kevin and I used to, when we were hot back in the uh, early 90s as a, as a writing team, uh, you know, we'd get these hilarious um, managers from Chicago writing and saying, I've got a band of girls sing this range and they want this kind of song. And we'd sit down and write a load of shite. You know, it, <laughs> it was horrible. I do remember one, they had this guy, and this is a true story, another one for the book. He, and this guy wrote, and he said, my girls... They can sing an eight-octave range. So Kevin wrote this joke song and sent it to him. It started like this and ended up there. (laughs) Our special guest on It's a Show this week for OpenHighway.com is Nick Van Eed from Cutting Crew. Nick, let's talk a little bit more about Kevin. Just about a month ago, he got the Director's Award at the East Coast Music Awards in Halifax. Yes, he did. He was uh, very special. He became my best friend. I'd lost my dad, um, and he was about seven years older than me, so he became a little uncle figure, as well as my best friend. He was the most egoless person I ever worked with in the music industry. He didn't give a damn about all that, and the poor old sod used to have to come to all these meetings with lawyers and accountants <laughs> and everything, and he didn't give a damn about that. He just wanted to play guitar, and uh, if he played down the pub or if he played on Johnny Carson's music show, you know, that was... It didn't really matter to him. Um, but ego less in the writing side. So, for example, in uh, any of the songs you hear, I've written the tune, I've probably written most of the words, I've probably written the chords, but all that beautiful stuff behind it, that's all him. And uh, if I'd say to him, I don't know, it just sounds a bit jazz, he'd go, okay. And so he would record another piece, and I'd go, well, that sounds a little, you know, and he, and he just would just keep spurting it out. Uh, a truly beautiful man, and I, and I miss him a lot. I want to say happy birthday, by the way. It's coming up quick here, and you're on the cusp of, you're not there yet, but you're almost 60, right? I am. I'm going to be on the airplane on the 13th, much to my wife's um, chagrin. That's our wedding anniversary. Oh, boy. And then, then the 14th is my birthday, and I'll be rehearsing in Edmonton. <laughs> and, then we have the gig on the 15th. She's 50 on the 28th when I get back. So I think she's got big plans for my return. 
So please, Canada, be kind with me. Let me home safely or I'll be in big trouble. <laughs> you were born in Cuckfield, West Sussex, South England. And did you, I'm, I'm sure you know this, that you were born on the same day as uh, Boy George and Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald You share the same birthday as Donald Trump. I'll take George at the moment. Yeah, but Donald, dear, well, maybe, yeah, no comment, no comment. Two great magnetic personalities with awesome hair, let's be honest. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, actor Edward Fox, but my partner in the show, he dug this up because he's, he's a fan of old war movies. He was in yeah. Battle of Britain, Bridge Too Far, Force 10 from Navarone with Robert Shaw and Harrison Ford, also born yeah. on the same day. On the same day, I remember, yeah. Edward had that very, very clipped, almost looked like he was a royal, didn't he? He had that very, <laughs> the hair brushed to the side and everything was very stiff upper lip. Yeah. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> By the way, being a, a Brit, did you get into the royal wedding? What are your thoughts on, on Harry and Meghan's little nuptials there as a brief aside? Well, my daughter, as you know, answered the telephone and she's, um, she's a new generation and she turned her nose up. up at her. Oh, really? But I, yeah, um, that's the, the new kids here, I suppose. And she's a bit of a socialist left-wing hippie, you know, like that. <laughs> so she can she can take it and smoke it. Um, I adored it. Um, my wife and I sat here. I know um, some other mates of mine did it sort of begrudgingly, but it, what a show, hey, what a party. And I think they've done a great deal for, uh, you know, pushing the royals into the into the new uh, era. And I'm all for anything. And tradition for me should never be killed. I... I'm a, an old-fashioned, not necessarily a royalist, but if you go to Australia, I know in Canada you do thousands and thousands of things for, you know, First Nation. Tradition is everything, and it's so easy to kill it off, and then it's gone forever. And over here with jolly old England, we've got um, the Queen, and uh, from the moment I was born, she was my Queen, and still is. And uh, that'll be a pretty sad day when she's gone. So, yeah, I'm, I, I happily enjoyed the royal wedding. I afraid I didn't I didn't get the invite but we have a lot in common maybe to the <laughs> my grandmother Rita was from Wales and she was the president of the Imperial Order Daughters of the Empire the IODE I grew up you know as a royal fan as well we watched all the coverage and everything and it was very exciting and I I too as a I'm a 51 year old guy and I believe in tradition yeah the history of the monarchy is not always rosy, but what is? And but the good news is, is they're evolving, and the amount of charity work and everything they do, the joy and light that they bring to people's lives is incredible. I agree. Canada's always been pretty close to us over the years. You know, some of the other Australia. I know I've been. We play Australia almost every other year, and um, it's a wonderful uh, place to go to. But they they can be pretty chippy about the Brits and and the you know the the royals and everything. So uh, I understand the other point of view as well. Yeah. Well. Um, but uh, everybody's got their opinion. But yeah, but one last thing on it, you know, you've got to be so proud. It's, nobody does that kind of show like us. And what was it? Something like 300 million people watched it. <laughs> and it was so well done. Like I could not believe how amazing it was. And just being the high Anglican church there, uh, they got thrown uh, back a little bit with the Baptist pastor. <laughs> it was kind of fun that, to watch. That, that was TV heaven for the year. That was. It that was. It was. Spectacular. <laughs> you know what else is spectacular? I've always been a big fan of Slade and their run runaway video and just the charisma those guys had. Can you confirm or deny that you started early in your career playing kazoo opening for Slade? 
true. <laughs> what? <laughs> First of all, it, were were kazoo openers a big thing back in the day? Or I invented this whole genre, personally. But I'll tell you the story, Greg. It was the moment, again, going back to the what we could do back in those days, you know, get discovered in a bar, or um, in those days send cassettes into big managers with their offices in London. But um, I had a job in an operating theatre in a very famous, very uh, Canadian, uh, it's called the Canadian Ward, at Queen Victoria, uh, where the pilots of the Second World War were patched up with their burns. And I used to work in the operating theatre, untrained. And one night, I used to, well, I played every Thursday night in the local pub. And one night, Chaz Chandler was visiting his son, uh, who'd had come in for some work on a, on a burn. And uh, he came up to me after seeing my show and gave me his card and said, give us a call on Monday morning, I might have some work for you. <laughs> and I, I had no idea. That's my very worst Geordie accent, by the way. Um, I had no idea who he was, this towering giant of a man. And um, two weeks later, he'd signed me, and I was touring Poland, opening the show for Slade with my acoustic guitar, and I was doing what I did in the pub. And so some songs, I was playing this frigging kazoo. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you still have a kazoo? Like, keep one handy, just in case inspiration I strikes? I know. I'll be honest, I've given them to the charity shop. Yeah. Oh, man. But, but it was amazing. So that happened, and I was in Poland, and then I came back from the tour... I was, you know, treated like some uh, beautiful 19-year-old boy, you know, where the Polish kids didn't know the hell I was. <laughs> and so Slade said to me, would you like to could we do the uh, the British tour with us? You know, you would done rather well, actually. <laughs> so I said, oh, thank you very much. And on the first night, I swear, Greg, on the first night, I got hit by a bottle that was thrown through the air. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> that uh, skinhead following that they had in Britain was rather different from the lovely following in Poland. So... That was a wake-up call, but I, you know, I shrugged it off and finished the tour, and uh, still friends with Don, the drummer now. Great band, and I, I learned a lot, and I mean a lot, about how to handle crowds, how to look out for all the flying objects, and have fun, mostly have fun. That's, that was what instilled in me, that even well, every song I do now, it's, I, don't, uh, I think it should be about giving the, the crowd a good time, and that was Slade that taught me that. Is Naughty Hammer still with us, the lead singer? He is. Um, he doesn't sing anymore. Um, he's become a bit of a sort of minor TV celebrity. He does some acting, and he's on all those shows. You know, he's got that, that wicked chuckle and the big sideburns still, but he's not singing anymore. Um, I mean, Chaz told me that, uh, uh, he said, we're doing another Slade session tonight, he said, and it costs a fucking fortune because Naughty blows out every fucking microphone with that voice of his. <laughs> Oh, so he really was a loud singer. <laughs> oh, enamored with that band. And a lot of it is the, the look, the charisma they have when they play and perform. And that's what we were talking about earlier was the advent of video. Now, in Canada, our answer to MTV was Much Music. Much Music will select one winner per province and one from the territories, plus a friend each, to fly via Ward Air to London for the concert and party of a lifetime. 
Now, here's how you enter. Simply pick up a ballot at any participating A&A Records and Tape store or write Much Music at 299 Queen Street West, Toronto, Ontario, M5V2Z5. Enclose one bottle cap liner from Coca-Cola Classic or get your pencil out and try a reasonable hand-drawn facsimile. Then get your passports ready. Eleven lucky winners and their friends will be flying to London to see Brian Adams. You could be one of them. So enter today with Coca-Cola Classic. Welcome back. Actually, you probably didn't go away. We kind of went away. And we're back. Uh, this is the new blonde VJ person, uh, Steve Anthony. A lot of big names were VJs back in your day, like J.D. Roberts, who's now John Roberts on Fox News as the White House correspondent. And well, I know. Amazing. Amazing. Erica M. I don't know if you ever uh, had a chance to be interviewed by Erica, but she's a friend of mine from the Yummy Mummy Club. Is her, her empire now online? There was a female called Jeannie, Jeannie Pep, Jeannie something. Jeannie Becker? Becker, yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Did she go on to other things? She ended up presiding over fashion television, and she was the fashion guru okay. for years and years and years. Okay. So so you had relationships with those guys and, and hung out with them a bit in Canada when you were in the band? Well, we did. We were, you know, we lived down in just off Young Street there for seven or eight months. So we'd, we'd meet them. My memories are an industry that was, you know, this is the 80s I'm talking about now. This is with, with the early 80s with the drivers, not so much with cutting crew. With the drivers, we lived in Toronto for about a year. Um and uh, it was a not new industry, that's wrong, but, you know, an industry really growing by the by the second. And um, I was introduced to Yorkville and, you know, that's where Joni Mitchell wrote this. And that's where Neil Young sat and had his first of his 25 beers. So I, I feel very um, way down the list, but a bit of an honorary Canadian in some ways. Uh, you know, I, I've always been my second love and I can't wait to get back and play there. And it's been a crying shame that we haven't done it ever since. We can't wait to have you back. And, and uh, when you're rehearsing in Edmonton, maybe if you got half an hour, let's have a pint together because I'm, I'm right in the world famous West Edmonton Mall. All of our radio stations are located here and my podcast studio as well. Really? Yeah. It'll be my birthday. I'll write that right down now, Greg. We'll do that. The Cutting Crew hitting Canada along with your pals, another Nick from Wang Chung. Nick is also the lead singer of Wang Chung. And uh, Casino Yellowhead here in Edmonton, Dakota Dunes in Saskatoon, which is my hometown, my producer's hometown, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Burnstown, just outside of Ottawa. Then on June 22nd in Waterloo, June 23rd at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre on the CNE grounds in Toronto. And the show is a mix of, obviously, hits and new music. It is. You'll hear everything that you want to hear, and you'll hear stuff from the new albums. And as I say, I've, we've just finished the three-month British tour, and as I always say every night, we're going to play a few songs from the new album. Don't be scared. They're quite good. Selfishly, all of us want to relive our youth. That's why the main reason we're there. And then sometimes we get pleasantly surprised by the fact that you are still writing incredible music, and you introduce us to new stuff as well. Yeah, that has to be what I, that's the deal with me because that's my lifeblood. You know, uh, the Add to Favorites album we released last year is ten of the best songs I've ever written, and, and I. I'm not just saying that. I have to set the, the bar high because everybody will always ever judge me by some very, very big hits. So when we play the show, Cutting Crew will be playing, you know, One for the Mockingbird, I've Been in Love Before, Any Color, I Just Died in Your Arms. And then also we'll have a song called Till the Money Runs Out, you know, about a, a girl who, shall we say, married well. I want to set the record straight So try not to lose me Till the money runs out Caravan, 
called uh, Berlin in Winter, which if I've got just one more minute, I'd love to tell you about that song. It's, sure. Uh, it's the showstopper. It's just before Died in Your Arms in the show. And basically it goes down as well as Died in Your Arms. It's um, a song about when in 1989 we have our 9-11, which is the 9th of November. And uh, 9th of November 1989 was when the Berlin Wall fell. And Cutting Crew were playing up in Scotland. And I remember sitting with Kevin watching the television before we went down to the gig and these images unfolding of the wall and the kids bursting through and the police were hugging them and everything. We did the show and you couldn't make it up. Two days later, we were playing in Berlin and we had a hit single, hit album in the charts and everything. Uh, sold out a big club and 21 people turned up. Oh, man. <laughs> Everybody was down at the wall. So we invited everybody. This is a true story. We invited everybody onto the stage. We uh, we sort of sat there and let them play tambourines and sing along. We did about six songs and we called it a night and we all went down to the wall and, um, you know, parted and the privilege of being part of major European history uh, by fluke was incredible. So anyway, 30 years later, I wrote a song, a fantasy story about a guy who was sequestered by the communists to be part of the work gangs to build the wall, you know, a young Berliner. Right. And then he lived through all the uh, atrocities of the 60s and 70s. But he lived long enough to be there on that night in 1989 to see the wall fall. And it's a, it's a ballsy, really touching, emotional song called Berlin in Winter. So you can hear that one as well. I got goosebumps just hearing the description, so I look forward to it. And I know uh, my producer in Toronto, he... He loves Biggest Mistake of My Life, and I love Till the Money Runs Out. I like the video. Graham wanted to know, is the ATM from Till the Money uh, Runs Out still available? Because he's interested, <laughs> if you autograph it's it. It's in my garage. Yeah, it's in my garage. He can, he can make an offer. <laughs> but I won't, be able to, I won't be able to fit it in my excess baggage, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, man, that would make a great stage prop when you're doing the hometown shows. What a great idea. I have loads of ATM machines. Rush used to have their washing machines. We could have ATM machines. Yeah, you can use them as part of your merch. Uh, experience there that's for sure <laughs> there is so much to talk about we didn't even cover off your audition for genesis and you were it was down to two singers to replace phil collins and genesis and uh as fate would have it you didn't get the part yeah that's a, that was an, a privilege that was an amazing thing to go down to their studio and sing along with mike and tony and uh um i remember they said to me you know pick your favorite six or seven songs out of the 15 they sent don't worry about the keys of the songs because if anything's too high, you know, the band can change it in a second. Right. So I chose Turn It On Again, which was my all-time favorite. That's a tricky one to sing. <laughs> I, I, two, three, four, get so lonely. Um, all that counting and everything. And I did Mama and I did uh, We Can't Dance. But then I wanted to do um, Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. And I got there and that was i looked around the studio and i said where's the band and they said oh there is no band it's actually just playing to the back tracks <laughs> and I, the first song was tonight tonight, tonight. <laughs> i completely wrecked my voice it was hilarious <laughs> uh, was that the most nerve-wracking uh, thing you've ever done in music is auditioning for those guys because that was a, a globally f huge band still is and um, no actually they made it mike rutherford is one of the you know, loveliest men in the business he's sort of unkilled figure and he just sat down and said right then what would you, uh, would you fancy singing? Would you like a cucumber sandwich? Uh, just relax. And it really was like that. So I know I had a ball. And, and uh. I said to them, I shook their hands. I said, if you want a guy that looks like me 
it sounds like me and as my personality that's what you get and I, I did it faultlessly and uh, he called me uh, three months later phone rang Saturday morning hello uh, Nick it's Mike here from Genesis and I said oh hello Mike he said look we, we're sorry it's been a while we've been thinking about it and we, we loved you you were a lovely chap in fact the loveliest of all but we just didn't quite have enough high end crack in your voice <laughs> so we've decided to pass and he said I hope I haven't spoiled your day I said no, not at all. Actually, I'm getting married in about three hours' time. <laughs> <laughs> what an experience you've had because of music. And uh, I, I'd love to do part two, three, and four of this interview someday. But uh, I really thank you for your time. And my producer will kill me if I don't end it off with a rapid fire. Cutting questions with Nick Van Eed, okay? You're, I'll do my best. You're a whiskey drinker. Favorite type? Canadian, Scotch, Irish, bourbon? What do you? What's your go-to? JD. Jack Daniels. Yep. We are brothers from the same mother, sir. Gareth is, um, Gareth, my guitarist, he will sit and uh, bore you to tears with all the things he knows about whiskey and these beautiful single malts. Uh, anything too peaty, anything too smoky, <laughs> I, I don't enjoy it. So a nice rounded bourbon, but JD's the one. That's rock and roll for God's sake. It's a rock and roll drink. Okay, we're having, forget about the pint, we're having Jack when you come. Football or cricket? You're a rugby guy, right? You got that right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I played rugby at school. If I had to flick between the channels now, it would be rugby first. Cricket second, football last. Um, I don't dislike it, but they're getting paid far too much for being pretty ordinary. Uh, rugby, uh, I got two teeth missing from when I was a rugby player. And you'll see me if we meet, I limp slightly because of rugby. So I've got to like fucking rugby, haven't I? <laughs> Are you going to get your knees replaced or what? They're pretty shot. Now I'm 60, a couple of weeks you got to get one of those those things that help you put your sock on, like the sock machine, because you can't reach down. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) You don't know how dangerously close you are to the truth. Ferry or channel? What's your favorite mode? What did you say? Ferry or channel? I'll pass on that one. I can't give you a good answer. Fondest memory of Kevin McMichael. Let's end it with that. Uh, Easy. Absolutely easy. The casting show was something that you remember as staple, I don't know what it was, 10 o'clock at night. I knew how much that meant to him. A bit like when he came and played on top of the pops over here, that was an enormous big deal for him. Didn't mean that much to me. I've seen top of the pops since I was a kid. So I didn't realize just how big this show was to Kevin. The night we played, uh, it was Carson's birthday. Uh, Joe Piscopo was on it. And I think they said it was 84 million people live. And I remember Kevin throwing up backstage. <laughs> <laughs> About 20 minutes. So Kevin was Mr. Cool. You couldn't ever ruffle him, but that night he was ruffled. <laughs> that is amazing. What a story. Well, let's end with throw up. That's how we roll on It's a Show. And Nick, thank you so much for your time. That that was a really enjoyable conversation. I, I truly appreciate your time. I promise you part two and three later in the year. I'm going to go swimming with my daughter now. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Many thanks to Nick Van Ede, the lead singer of Cutting Crew, for joining us on It's a Show. Don't miss one of their many concerts across Canada with Wang Chung, including dates in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. It's a Show is presented by OpenHighway.com at OpenHWI.com. It's a Show is a Greg Shannon Media Sloan Baxter production. Research by Ken Adams. Executive producer, GFARC in Toronto. To download today's episode or any of our archive material, go to itsashow.ca and there you'll find the companion episode to this show, a feature-length interview with Nick, the lead singer of Wang Chung, currently touring Canada with our pal Nick from Cutting Crew. 
They hit the top with other multi-million selling singles and supported the likes of Tina Turner, The Bangles and Huey Lewis and The News, while Bon Jovi was a self-confessed Cussing Crew fan. In 1993, the band split up, leaving Nick to go on to write, record and manage bands, including producing the original demo version of Cher's monster hit, Believe. Co-founder Kevin McMichael continued his career as a guitarist until he died in 2002. But tonight, his musical partner keeps the flame alive because he's back. Hitting us one more time with I Just Died In Your Arms, he's live, he is Nick Van Eve. 